Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 480. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. Our first sponsor thanks goes to Rooted Farmers. Rooted Farmers works exclusively with local growers to put the highest quality specialty cut flowers in floral customers' hands. When you partner with Rooted Farmers, you are investing in your community and you can expect a commitment to excellence in return. Learn more at rootedfarmers.com. Today, we return to a series I began earlier this year featuring the regional directors of the Association of Specialty Cutflower Growers. You'll hear from Michelle Elston of Roots Cutflower Farm in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, and Jamie Rhoda of Harvest Home Farm in Waverly, Nebraska. Between them, these two flower farmers represent a significant percentage of ASCFG's membership. Jamie's region is North and Central U.S., representing farmers in Iowa, Illinois, Indiana, Kansas, Michigan, Minnesota, Missouri, Montana, Nebraska, North and South Dakota, Ohio, Wisconsin, and Wyoming. Phew, (laughs) that's a lot. You'll also meet Michelle, who is ASCFG's newly appointed Mid-Atlantic Regional Director, representing flower farmers in Delaware, Maryland, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Virginia, and West Virginia. And both are Slow Flowers members, so I want to thank them for that. I invited both Jamie and Michelle to share about what's happening with flower farming in their regions and to give us a snapshot of their respective flower farming ventures. As it turns out, they each have cultivated a successful but different niche. So you'll learn from Michelle about selling to mass market grocery and you'll learn from Jamie about serving as a wholesale supplier to floral designers in her community. Here's a bit more about each of these guests. Michelle Elston is founder and owner of Roots Cut Flower Farm. She has loved plants and flowers for as long as she can remember. After studying plant science in college, Michelle and her husband Mike moved to Massachusetts. There they bought a garden center and stayed for nine years. But after the birth of their first child, they realized that the best place to raise their kids was close to family roots. So they sold the garden center and moved back to Michelle's hometown of Carlisle, Pennsylvania. Time and space soon opened up for Michelle to pursue her dream of farming. What started as a small garden has evolved into a 10-acre farm that produces enough flowers for more than 20,000 supermarket bouquets and 100 weddings and events annually. Now, 13 years later, Michelle realizes she never imagined her seed of an idea would turn into such a thriving small business. Even with growth, Michelle's flower philosophy has remained a simple one, to celebrate the natural beauty of every season in south-central Pennsylvania. Flowers are grown sustainably and selected based on their ability to thrive in the region. All of Roots' bouquets and arrangements are created using only what is grown on the farm, rather than the trendy, 
The results of this philosophy include a timeless designs that are fresh, lush, and unique. Here's more about Jamie. Harvest Home Flowers is a small, family-owned flower farm located between Lincoln and Omaha, Nebraska. The farm produces a wide variety of naturally grown, specialty-cut flowers for local florists and designers. Jamie and her husband Norman have farmed since 1994, and today their family-owned flower farm produces specialty-cut flowers for local florists, designers, and DIY brides. Both Jamie and Michelle share photos of their farms and flowers that you can find in the show notes for today's episode 480 at deborahprinzing.com. And you'll also find their social media links so you can follow them in the future. Let's jump right in and get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing. And I'm so delighted today to have two special guests from the leadership of the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers. We've been kind of having this ongoing series throughout 2020, uh, inviting the uh, regional directors of ASCFG from around the uh, North America to talk about what's happening in their region. And today we're ha- we have two guests, so we're covering two regions. So first, I want to welcome Michelle Elston of Roots Flower Farm. She's in Pennsylvania. And um, we also want to welcome Jamie Rhoda of... A Harvest Home Flowers in Nebraska, and she's a return guest. You've heard from her before. Hi, ladies. Good morning. Good morning, Deborah. Thanks for joining me. Um, first of all, let's start out with like little, just a little update from the regions uh, to put you on the map and tell people where your farm is and what's happening in your region. And um, so, Michelle, you've not been on the podcast before, so I'm going to make you go first. <laughs> Introduce your farm and tell us where you are on the map and kind of what's happening in your region. Sure. Good morning. Um, so my farm is Roots Cut Flower Farm. We're in Carlisle, Pennsylvania, which is part of the Mid-Atlantic region of the ASCFG. Um, we, my farm in particular, has been around for 14 years. Um, and what I'm noticing in our region, in short, is that there are just tons and tons and tons of new growers, and that's really exciting. I am fairly new to the ASCFG board. I joined. I think it was right after COVID, like April um, <laughs> wow. this year, I was appointed to uh, be to replace Lisa Ziegler, who has done amazing work for the association. Um, so I'm still learning the ropes for sure. But what I know is especially in the little cluster around um, Maryland, Virginia, Philadelphia, there's just massive growth of lots of small farms starting up. Um, and I think that's really exciting. Mm. Hmm. Where is Carlisle in association with, um, like, say, Philadelphia or Pittsburgh? Where Are you near a big city? Smack in the middle. Oh, really? Right in the middle, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So tell us about Roots Flower Farm. Um, when did you start it? And, like, what are your what is your scope of, of kind of, I don't know, we all want to do everything, but you have to kind of narrow and focus. So what's your focus? Sure. And I love narrowing and I love eliminating things. So. <laughs> Um, We've gone through many versions of roots. Uh, I'll start with our backstory. Um, My farm started in 2007. Uh, Our son, Jake, was born in 2004. We lived in Western Mass and owned a garden center there. And uh, when he was born, we desperately needed grandma. And so we moved, I'm from central PA. And so we moved back here to Carlisle, um, home to my roots, which is how we got our Mm, name. Beautiful. And, uh, 
because we sold that business, some time and space opened up for me to pursue this dream. So we named the business Roots um, because we moved back or to my hometown of of Carlisle, PA, not my husband's hometown, but um, so that's how it's got its name. Um, we also believe that good plants come from good roots, which is super important. Um, so anyhow, time and space opened up for me to pursue this dream of having a farm and uh, it has very much grown with my children and with my capacity to do this. So in the beginning, it was just me. And now, uh, whatever that is, 14 years in, we're up to a staff of 12. And I think about three, three of them are full time. Um, we do only grow seasonally. So we don't have any heated greenhouse space, but we produce a uh, gosh, well over 20,000 supermarket bouquets from July through September. So that's our big thing. Wow. We also do, or, uh, did and are going to, again, have on-farm pop-up shops occasionally. We attend a farmer's market only in our hometown here of Carlisle and um, sell some bulk buckets for do-it-yourself brides. Um, we have we have sold to florists. Uh, we have done event work. We hope to go back to a little bit of event work, but we have officially moved out of wedding design work um, as of the past year and a half. And... Um, I'm trying to think what else we've tried traveling to farmers markets in others towns. And I guess the main thing is that every, every step of this, of the changes that roots has made has really been based on what's working for my family. Mm -hmm. um, obviously following the market and what's viable uh, roots is a, very much a self-funded enterprise. So it has to pay for itself every step of the way. But um, you know, we don't do Saturday farmers markets because my husband is a landscaper and we are screaming busy through the week and we need to be home with our family right. on the weekends and, wow. and just every step of the way, it's, those decisions have truly been made by what's best for our family. Wow. Wow. How much acreage do you have? Um, this property is just under 10, of, 10 acres. We probably have about six in production at this point. Wow. That's a lot. That is crazy when I think about the fact that you are cranking out so many grocery bouquets. That's like the bulk of your activity in the you know, spring to fall growing season, you know, frost, frost, last frost to first frost, right? That's our focus for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's probably about 50 to 60% of our revenue, but, um, in terms of number of stems, I have no idea, yeah. but it's easily 80%. You know? <laughs> so what, uh, just out of curiosity, as I was just talking about this yesterday, there's a com we had a conference in the Pacific Northwest called the Tilth Organic Farming Conference. And out of all the presenters, there was one session on flower farming. And I gave that mm -hmm. presentation, which is kind of like, mm -hmm. well, it's, it's not what we all would like, but it's something. But well, I was talking with the group uh, over Zoom about grocery and, you know, grocery flowers. And Jamie, jump in here if this has happened. Uh, do you sell at grocery, Jamie? No, we don't. Okay. But you know enough people who do, you probably have some opinions. But I feel like, <laughs> you know, this sort of, in some circles, selling to grocery is like, considered, you know, not lucrative, like, oh, that they're going to lowball you on price, or, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, just, just not a pleasant situation, depending on how big the corporate grocery buyer, you know, how big that company is. But I was telling the group yesterday, like, there's some ways to really hit a sweet spot in grocery. And I'm, I'm curious to know, what chains are you selling to? Are they like regional chains or family owned or independent? Because it seems like that maybe has worked for more more people than like the big blue chip, you know, massive chains. You're nodding. So I'm curious to know. Is that been yeah, your experience? Yeah, sure. So um, 
We are in two grocery chains. Uh, one is called Carnes, which is a very local chain of, uh, I think there are up to eight stores right now, only in central Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. And then the other chain is Wegmans, um, oh, which is that's a, a big chain. East Coast chain. Yeah. So we service all the Pennsylvania Wegmans stores. Um, and so that's a huge chain. We, uh, they would love us to service more stores. We have chosen to stick with Pennsylvania because... Uh, I deliver, or not me, but we deliver all of our our bouquets directly to stores. Um, I have not been willing to take the step of plastic wrapping, cardboard mm. boxing, palletizing, mm-hmm. and going to a warehouse um, mm-hmm. when that's just like a sustainability decision that just doesn't feel good to me. And so there's opportunity for more, but we're, we're sort of holding steady with PA, um, at least for the time being. And, yeah. and, you know, you can always revise all your... All your decisions, but um, that's where we are right well, now. Well, you're so, keeping you're keeping the flower stems in water. The whole uh, the whole distribution which is channel is really important. Yeah. We are growing um, essentially hot flowers, tons of celosias and gumprinas and sunflowers, and and these are you know summer flowers that don't tolerate a ton of time out of water, and we just feel like it's really important that we're handling them mm-hmm. in a certain way. What. So you kind of did uh, verify my hunch, which is the best partners in grocery are the sort of independent regional chains where there's you're really kind of dealing with the decision maker um, or the owners or the managers um, that you know them. They know you, I hope. Uh, there's oh. only eight eight stores in that chain. Is that true or? Um, so I've only ever been in three groceries. Um, we were in a much bigger chain before, but I think even more than that, it depends on the model of the Mm. specific chain and their outlook. And Mm -hmm. so, um, we adore both Wegmans and Carnes. They have stood behind us, um, and are incredibly supportive. The chain that we were in, uh, before that we did pull out of, uh, was more of, a small store on every corner of every town. And mm. that model just didn't work with mm. our flowers because mm. even though they are a supermarket, it's still a slightly higher end bouquet for South Central Pennsylvania. Right, right. right. You wanted, you wanted <laughs> and, the customer so, who, who valued local and saw the artisan quality of your bouquets. Yes, correct. Yeah. Yeah. So I think it's really just about finding the right fit for your business. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if I could generalize okay. about regional or nationwide chains. Yeah. Let me do the generalization. <laughs> and you don't have to. But the Wegmans story, I think, is that it is, uh, what I know about them is they're, they have um, a very kind of a motivated customer who cares about, in, in, or a subset of their customer that cares about organic or cares about uh, local farming and um, high quality. And so they're able to, you're not selling a budget bouquet. Um, 100%. And yeah. Wegmans really cares about relationship. Mm-hmm. And so they do a beautiful job of telling the story of our farm. Uh, there was a, probably a two year period where there was a video of our farm playing on a loop at wow. the front of the store. Wow. There's a you know, I think like three giant pictures of my family throughout every single store where we sell, um, really telling that, you know, local connection, family connection. And, you know, um, I've had the amazing privilege of meeting personally the Wegmans family and, you know, just they come here to our farm several times a year. Uh, They're extremely committed to that relationship. And um, the beauty of that is when their staff understands the story that I'm a real human in their state growing flowers, employing other real humans that live in their state 
they get behind it. And so the staff is supportive. And when somebody's on the fence about, should I buy, you know, a flower that's been in a box shipped from far, far away, or should I buy one that's from my state? They, it's a, it's a no brainer because the staff is behind. Like they're becoming the marketing arm of your business. uh, Even when you're not there to sell the flowers. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. beautiful. That's beautiful. Okay. Well, let's get Miss Jamie in. I didn't mean to leave you on hold for so long, (laughs) but this is the challenge with, with more than two people on the call. Um, or more than two, one, more than one guest and three of us. Um, Jamie, uh, what's going on with Harvest Home Flowers? And what, what, tell us where you are on the map. Again, some people may remember that you've been on the podcast before. It's, it's great to ha- see you again and, and hear from you again. Sir Deborah. So we're in eastern Nebraska. And I know a lot of people are, don't even know where Nebraska is, but we're right in the middle of the U.S. So we're in eastern Nebraska, which is where most of the population is in Nebraska. Um, Waverly is actually our address and Waverly is the first little town northeast of Lincoln if you're headed to Omaha. Omaha and Lincoln are our two major population centers mm-hmm. in Nebraska. So you're kind of and between so we're the two ideally of them. located. Yeah, we're ideally located. We are closer to Lincoln, but we're not that far mm-hmm. from Omaha either. I can get to western Omaha in 40, 40, 45 minutes, something like that. So um We've been here on this little acreage for uh, 25 years this wow. fall, we, 25 years ago exactly that we bought it. Um, so we've been doing, we started out as a little vegetable farm and then I was one of those obnoxious vegetable farmers that brought a few flowers to market and probably annoyed all the serious flower farmers there. But <laughs> Wait, I have to ask you, the, what was your first flower <laughs> that you brought to market? I'm just curious. What was the starter drug? <laughs> You know, it, it, it was mixed bouquets. Okay. Um, wow. I did not have, I think I just, I've always loved flowers. And so when we bought this acreage, you know, I, I probably, I honestly don't remember, but I do remember it was just things that I could pick from my landscape mm. and oh, okay. I would just put together a couple bouquets in a vase. I sold them in the vase and probably way too cheap. Um, I did find paperwork one year that found for the first year I sold $350 worth of flowers. And that was the whole summer at our market. So oh my it, gosh. it started pretty small. <laughs> You've upgraded um, since then. <laughs> and then. Yeah. You know, the next year I was just like, oh, maybe I should actually plant something specifically for bouquets. And then it just really gradually grew from there. Um, we raised five kids here on this farm. And so I was pretty busy with that. And, you know, my husband, Norm was doing more of the vegetables and I would just do a few flowers and it just gradually switched over until by, by probably 2010, um, we were pretty much all flowers at our booth, um, in Lincoln. And then 2015 was the last year that we did farmer's market. And um, we had started selling a little bit to florists while we were still at the market. And I had been doing full service weddings and it was just getting to be too much trying to do all of that. And so we dropped everything except the florist route. And that is 90 to 95% of our business now is selling to florists. Oh, Jamie, I uh-huh. think I met you in 2010 at the ASCFG uh, conference in Tulsa. That's how long ago uh, you got on my radar. I <laughs> did you... go to that one. Yeah. I do remember, yeah. 
Uh, but it was so new to me. And, you know, I was from the West Coast, so I just was very influenced by the fact that a lot of flower farming happened in, you know, Oregon, Washington, California. So I was fascinated that, that you were in the middle of the country doing this. And um, well, and it's great. still like that. Most yeah. of it is still on the coast. We're we're few and far between here. That's why I have fourteen states in my region. <laughs> yeah, you, you actually. You, it's like you have two regions combined, right? North and central. <laughs> it, it basically is. It's called the North and Central. Oh my gosh! Region. Yeah. So, um, but it's growing. I I can. It is. I, I'm excited is. about that. Um, so interesting. You both kind of have different. Um, portfolios. And I think that's great for this conversation because I don't think I knew, of course, that Jamie and I've talked before about how she's got a design designer base of customers who have certain preferences and flowers and that's influenced what you grow. But um, Michelle, I guess I didn't know you were so, you're, you're so, um, you know, focus on serving the grocery marketplace. So it's great to see both of your perspectives. Um, I mentioned before we started recording that I, we did our, our annual survey for Slow Flowers members, and both of you are Slow Flowers members, so thank you for being so supportive of Slow Flowers, as well as wearing your ASCFG hat. Uh, but we I don't know if either of you even took the survey, but we had a survey that went out on October 1st. We ran it the whole month of no, October, and so cool because we tripled the participation this year. Um, probably because we gave away a really nifty little gift for as a thank you for people to participate. But I've just started going through all the comments. And um, so I thought I'd pull up a couple of the questions and see if, if we could riff on them a little bit. The full report will be um, shared at the end of 2020 or at the beginning of 2021. But obviously top of mind that we asked people uh, was about how the global COVID-19 pandemic impacted your business. And I didn't, I didn't really want to put this as an open-ended question because I felt like, oh, people just are overwhelmed. I myself am overwhelmed. So we tried to, you know, list some types of things that I've been hearing about that people had done. And so I'm just curious, um, I'll start with Jamie, because you're, you're really based in weddings and events. I'm, I'm wondering, what did your year look like? And how did you adapt and, uh, how, you know, show resilience? Well, I think adapt and resilience are the words of the year, for one. Well, I didn't um, say pivot, which is the other word. <laughs> Thanks for leaving that one out. Yeah. <laughs> I actually sent out, and I'll, I'll get to myself personally, but I actually sent out a letter to my members, uh, 400 plus members that are in my region. And um, I, I think I've sent two or three over the summer just checking in with them, but, you know, asking them specifically how, you know, now that the season is winding down for most people, how, you know, how did you perceive your season? Good, bad, otherwise, you know, I just, I kind of left mine open-ended, you mm -hmm. know, tell me whatever. And mm -hmm. um, overwhelmingly, I'm happy to um, report that even though people had to make changes, the, it was an overwhelming positive from, I think, almost everybody that That's their so business did fantastic. Oh, that's so encouraging. Year. And I, I would say that our business mirrored that. Of course, we were all concerned in, you know, the beginning of March and not knowing just where we would go with it this summer. And I resisted, you know, I, I saw so many people doing a lot of different things, really changing up their business plan. And I kind of 
resisted that knowing that we'd kind of streamlined our business plan. And I really wanted to stick with that pretty much <laughs> for the future. Um, fortunately, we do not depend on this as 100% of our income. My husband has always worked off farm. He's a respiratory therapist. So mm-hmm. he's had a lot of job security. Mm-hmm. Uh, wow. Especially March. this year, he must and, be working a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> he's been pretty busy. Wow. Um, so we did, we did a little tweaking. I, I have to say that, you know, I was a little concerned because uh, um, a lot of my uh, customers are, you know, weddings and events. I have quite a few that do not have storefronts. They're studio florist. And um, some of those just really did nothing this year. Mm. And so I was a little concerned, you know, if we'd still be able to sell flowers. And we had no problem with that, really. Um, I feel like the stores that were open just did a booming business. Um, you know, and it, we, the demand was still there for our cut flowers. And then we did try a few little things. We did a few more on-farm things because I felt like people were so, um, I just saw our communities around here really supporting local businesses. Mm -hmm. It didn't matter what you were doing. They were so supportive. And so our farm tour was crazy successful, almost too much for our tiny farm. Um, we opened up what we are fondly calling the tiny farm store this year. It's just a little portion of our barn that we now can have open when we have events here um, to sell things out of that. Um, so we did a few more, just little pop-ups here at the mm-hmm. farm, uh, workshop type things, stuff like that. And they were all wildly successful. Wow. And so I think I haven't crunched the numbers yet, but I feel like um, any any less that we did selling to florists was made up by that. I do know my gross totals are ahead of last year. It's wow. our best year ever. That's so, amazing, Jamie. Um, yeah, it, it all, it all worked out. <laughs> Well, to me, that point, I want to, I want to hear Michelle's take on this too, but I, I feel like the, what the, the thread, the through line of what you've just described for both for yourself um, at Harvest Home, but also in the region is the demand for flowers uh, from the consumer was up uh, because of whatever people feeling isolated, people wanting to send flowers or deliver flowers or just hunger for something normal. I don't know, but uh, it's. It, I sure hope it sustains. I sure hope it kind of carries us, in, you know, moving forward. And we'll talk about the the crystal ball on on next year uh, before we wrap up. But Jamie, I just have to say, I bet you're so glad you're not designing for weddings anymore. I mean, that would have just devast- been yes. devastating. Yes, that was. Uh, I had two of my own children get married this year. Ah, uh, all right, you had your just, own weddings then. Yeah, one just last weekend. Oh my goodness. Um, Yay. Yeah, that was supposed to happen out in San Diego. It did not happen, but it, they're still married anyway. Right, right. And Just a so different. That was the only <laughs> a little different plan, yes. Yeah. That was the only wedding I designed for was my daughter who got married in July. And yes, I'm, for many reasons, I'm glad I'm not in the wedding um, industry anymore in that capacity. I enjoyed it, but I now enjoy uh, selling the flowers to multiple designers and letting them do that work. Right. But also you're talk- touching on the fact that y- even your customer base is diversified enough that you didn't have all your eggs in one basket with just wedding designers. Like you've got the retail florist who's doing the everyday 
weekly bouquets and um, special, you know, serving their community. So they need a, a the flow of of flowers week in and week out. So that that's well, awesome. I think I think that flow being disrupted the way it was this spring made a difference too. You know, I think um, a lot of them realize that they can't always depend on those flowers coming in. We're a very tiny farm. We only grow on one and a half to two acres. So, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not pushing out nearly as many flowers as what Michelle is. And so, of course, my customers, they're not buying all their flowers from me. They have, you know, other channels sure. that they buy through. But here in the Midwest, and because there's not many other growers around, you know, it's mainly shipped in flowers. Um, and so I think it was, you know, they realized that that, you know, they can't really depend on that all the time, like we've gotten used to. And so I think those who were doing a booming business, um, it was nice that they could depend on us at least for some of their flowers. I've heard that anecdotally from all around the country, especially in markets where there isn't a big physical, uh, mainstream wholesaler, like a, you know, big warehouse that you walk into the cooler and, and shop from. Um, you might have one in Lincoln or Omaha. I'm sure you probably have somebody selling wholesale, but. Um, we do, but it's uh, a lot of my customers actually order direct uh-huh. from farms and, you know, ship directly to them, which, which I believe is at least for around here is kind of where the future is going. I, I don't see the, um, you know, there's a couple in Omaha and I believe we still have one in Lincoln, but I, I think sometimes it's a struggle for them. Yeah. Right. So it's you're willing, like on the coast. Well, your willingness to deliver is, is taking away that objection of, you know, customers who don't have time to go, uh, or don't have staff or don't feel safe going into a, you know, a downtown location to shop. Yeah. I'm just the little wholesaler on wheels each week. So. <laughs> oh my I think gosh. I've gotten them spoiled. <laughs> well, let's talk about uh, grocery because Michelle, I feel like, and I know that's not your only focus, so don't, I don't want to pigeonhole you, but um, I feel like at least in Washington state, when the retail flower shops were put on hold for the first five, six weeks of COVID where, you know, you, you couldn't let people into your shop and that the state hadn't figured out, what to permit florists to do grocery was still given the exemption to, to be open. And because it's considered, I guess, essential. And so flowers at grocery really weren't as affected as the traditional retail flower shop. Has that been your observation? I I think that's true. Uh, Our experience was a little bit unique because we do not have enough volume of spring flowers because we don't grow in heated space to Mm. sell during that like six week period where demand was just completely out of control. Um, So we were able to supply our local Wegman store, just one store with flowers. But what we ended up doing was picking up two local bakeries that we partnered with and they sold our flowers uh, because we actually chose not to go to farmer's market, not to do a mother's day pop-up. We just like really shut down Mm -hmm. our own on-farm sales. And so we partnered with these two bakeries and that's where we saw um, really significant opportunity this year, which we had never really worked with like little stores before. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just the timing was right and it really worked. And I don't know if that'll, you know, last forever or not, but um, people really were 
thankful to support a local business. And we were thankful that food stores were staying open and we were able to move our flowers that way and not be open ourselves. So I have a massive debt of gratitude for those food workers who did stay open yeah. during that time. Yeah. But it's such a, a great affiliation, you know, that a bakery, a local bakery with local flowers, like who wouldn't want to shop and buy both things? Um, you know, it, it, it was in a way they were providing a convenience for their customers too. Because yeah. I think we both benefited hundred percent. Yeah. So when you say you are, I know that you're all field grown and you don't have heated greenhouses, so you're not doing like um, early anemones and ranunculus and those kinds of crops. What uh, are you, what is your first crop of the year? What, what is like, is it around? Oh, it's tulips. I mean, we, we, we try to have flowers from April through December, but we don't have that volume to wholesale except for the, the hot summer flowers. I see. Yeah. Um, you know, for serving all of PA, we can really only do that July, August, September, mm-hmm. when we can just grow, you know, mountains of mm-hmm. things. Um, not, you know, I don't, I don't even know how many tulips you'd have to plant to service oh the my grocery gosh. industry. How many do you, know, you plant? Uh, I think we've planted like 21,000 or something this oh my year. God. That's um, mind blowing. But, but that, <laughs> that, that will... Okay, so twenty one thousand you've planted now. So next spring, when you harvest them, will they go into grocery or will they? Um... No, no, th- those are all retail. Okay, I mean, when I say retail, I mean like our local bakeries and our farmers market, and sure. and hopefully, you know, Lord willing, we'll have a Mother's Day pop up, and we are able to um, cold store tulips for a good three weeks anyhow. And so usually they carry us through Mother's Day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's I like that that di- differentiation because the, you have to invest so much in the bulbs that you really can't afford to sell them wholesale. Oh my um, gosh, the supermarkets sell them for like less than I can even buy the bulbs. So yeah, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So what was your number one challenge with COVID then this year? Um, do you, it sounds like you had a, a very strong year as well uh, as as what Jamie just described. Yeah, so I would say we did have a strong year. Um, I wouldn't, uh, let's see, I just looked up our numbers. We are year to date up 0.02%. So I don't know that I'd say it was like, you know, a blowout or yeah, anything. Yeah. Um, what I can definitely tell you is that we worked really hard for that money. So because more of our our breakdown of percentages shifted to wholesale, that's way, way, way more stems for the same amount of money Mm. as 2019. Mm. So um, I feel really like, please don't mishear me. I am unbelievably grateful that we were able to do that and that we could keep our crew employed. And, you know, we have so many blessings that way, but um, we worked for it. And um, so our, our sort of our breakdown shifted. Um, We do, we don't do weddings, but we do event work for two local colleges um, in our area. And that went from, you know, 10% of our business to 0% um, and, and things like that. So, uh, so the, the breakdown really, really shifted this year, but we, we survived and um, it was good. So I guess that was probably the biggest thing in terms of challenge. I would frankly say, um, the, I'm not sure how to say it, moral challenge or emotional challenge of keeping my crew both physically safe and making them feel emotionally safe during this really uh, sketchy time was probably the thing that weighed the most heavily on me and that I took the most seriously throughout Mm. this time. So just figuring out ways to work that 
felt good to everyone. You know, obviously we're in central Pennsylvania. It was a screaming hot sun summer, super dry. Um, and, you know, trying to figure out how we could be safe and feel okay on all ways um, was the hardest piece of the year. Jamie, do you have employees or is it really you and your family members? Um, <laughs> um, we, we do. They're all um, very part-time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's difficult here to, and especially since we're so seasonal, you know, it's a seasonal job for somebody, but we've had employees cause all, all the kids are pretty well gone. We just have one at home. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't really her gig. You've <laughs> lost your workforce. <laughs> I did. Michelle's laughing. Is that uh, happening for you too, Michelle? <laughs> I don't know that my kids have ever really, uh, my daughter works some, they both work some on the farm, but yeah. I don't know if they've ever terribly embraced it. <laughs> it's not their jam. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, Some have definitely loved it more than others. And (laughs) those who love it are long gone. Um, So yeah, we do do have employees, but very part-time. You know, Mm -hmm. I I think we ended up with maybe six different ones working here this summer, but you know, very, they all have other jobs. And so it's, you're just um, having to patchwork quilt or something. So yeah, just kind of piecing it together. I mean, I'm assuming that, in terms, I got out on a lot of farms this summer because I was producing a video series for a USDA marketing grant that the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market um, asked me to come on and do. And, um, you know, we were on a like a seven acre farm with the videographer, the photographer, the farmer and me. And where I was like, look, you guys, we are safer than going to Trader Joe's, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of just air circulation and distancing. And um, I don't know, I just I felt like that might have been the safest place to be this year. And I'm, I'm even with your employees and even having multiple people where you, it sounds like you're, you're open air, you're able to distance people. You just had to think it, the, the mental toll was just figuring that out. It's back to what you said, Michelle, about just the, the burden of that. Right. Yeah, correct. For sure. And, and, you know, we did, we are planning to have our holiday pop-ups, but we canceled every other on-farm event this entire year. And mm-hmm. that that's a big deal for us. You know, that's a significant portion of our income, but that was a piece where my crew was not ready to have the public here. And, um, you know, we just had to go with that. And, mm-hmm. and it was right for us too. You know, I'm not, it was, I was totally behind the decision um, as well. So, yeah. so yeah, I think, you know, it, we did it. Um, we just had to think a lot. So, so how will you do your holiday pop-up? How will you what will that look like? Um, so we have a, a big bank barn, uh, which is where we normally have it. We are moving to additional outdoor sales space. Uh, we're going to have a limit of how many people can go in and out of the barn at a time. So I'm adding an additional staff person to stand at the door and, um, you know, sort of track just like they do it. All the other big stores, you <laughs> yeah, know, exactly. people are in at a time. Um, we are going to re- require masking on the property. We'll see how that goes. Hopefully it'll be well-received. And we are offering um, additional contactless drive-through hours for those people who don't want to come when we're open to the public. So we have a little shopping, like online pre-orders, and then you drive through on two specific days to pick up your stuff for those who really don't want to be near anyone at all. Yeah. Trying to accommodate. Right. That sounds great. And Jamie, you said you had a farm tour with a yeah. lot of people attending. When was that? Well, we did. Um, 
gosh, I'm trying to think. I think it was in August because my daughter got married mid-July. So I think it was in August, beginning of August. I, I guess I kind of looked at it a little bit differently than Michelle. My biggest concern at first, you know, when my, my first employees usually don't start until, you know, like end of March, maybe first of April. And just when it was hitting and nobody really knew, you know, what the heck was going on. And I just, my main concern was having my husband here and possibly, you know, I didn't know, is he going to get this? You know, he's working in healthcare. I think the very first patients in Nebraska um, were in his hospital. Wow. Um, They actually brought people from Omaha to Lincoln. And, you know, my concern was I didn't want any of my employees around him Mm -hmm. because I was like, I don't know if he's going to bring this home with him. You know, I was like making him walk in the back door and (laughs) take his clothes and put them in the washing machine before he could come in the house. Sure. He got off his shift. Yeah. And I I think I've since become uh, more aware that maybe he's the safest one because he wears the professional, you know, protection Mm -hmm. than anybody else has. And um, so I, I think I was more concerned about that at first. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, I mean, our farm is so tiny. I don't have any big indoor spaces anyway to put people in. And so sure. everything, the workshops that we had, you know, we just set up easy ups outside. Um, everything other than our tiny farm store and the, the restroom in the barn, um, you know, is outside. And so I, I guess I got, so I felt pretty comfortable about people being mm-hmm. here outside. Mm-hmm. And so, and I think people were really looking for something to do that they felt comfortable in, you know, and an outdoor space was, I think that for them, you know, right. a comfortable place for them. Right. Right. I mean, I, it's just interesting how we've all tried to redefine what community is and what gatherings look like. And, um, you know, retail across the country has taken a hit. So the fact that you're even a- able to sell flowers when people are on your farm, um, it's positive. So going forward, I think it's a big question mark for all of us. I'm, I'm wondering, one of the questions I had on the um, on the survey was sort of uh, changes in customers' buying patterns. And, and I'd love to know your thoughts on... Um, well, I think you've both alluded to it. I think, Jamie, you really touched on it with your customer being the, like the, especially the retail floor is working, worrying about their supply chain being disrupted and kind of lifting their heads up and saying, oh, there's local farmers I should be supporting who are, you know, within a you know 20 mile radius or 50 mile radius or whatever. I mean, I'm, that sounds like that has, you've already been able to ob- observe that change in buying patterns. Um does anything else occur to you uh, that you see on the horizon? Well, I wish I had that crystal ball. <laughs> yeah. You know, don't we all? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like through all of this, you know, with everything that's gone on in this year, we all wish we knew where it was headed. Yeah. And, you know, we're we're making plans for next year with the best knowledge that we have. But I I think being resilient mm-hmm. and being able to change because what I think next year might look like, it might not look like that. You know, Mm -hmm. we really don't know. Mm -hmm. Uh, I have feelings about what it could be like. And, um, 
I'm not that vocal about it because yeah. my feelings don't really matter. It's we're just all <laughs> have to be prepared for what it really is. Well, uh, maybe another example would be like, are you anticipating planting a comparable volume uh, in your crops diversity and your crop selection in, in 2021? Or have you, are you going to hold off on some of those decisions till next spring? Well, I, um, it's pretty, a lot of it's pretty similar, you know, I'm mm -hmm. not doing a lot of new things. I am looking more at the, the retail end of it. Uh, one example, I haven't grown lilies for years. I haven't grown them since we quit doing farmer's market because they're really not, uh, most of my customers, it's not a big thing for them, lilies. And I honestly kind of miss them. Mm. And I'm going to put some in again next year just for, you know, those retail sales here on the farm because I think people love lilies. And, you know, that's just one example of, you know, maybe tweaking a few things. We're, yeah. we're looking into possibly dabbling a little bit in UPIC next year. It won't mm -hmm. be anything major. Um, just something that could go along with other things we do here on the mm -hmm. farm. Like I feel like people are just desperate to be outside in the fresh air doing something where they don't feel like they're crowded next to other people, where they don't feel threatened by whatever. I think and, that's smart. You know, I just, I, I think that's going to carry over next year, even if COVID magically goes away over the winter, which I don't know about you guys, but it certainly isn't happening here yet. No, it's, and it's not here. I, I still feel like, yeah, I feel like the mindset it's going to, it's going to take us a while to get out of the mindset of not wanting to be close to people. It's become kind of just our, uh, like we don't think about it. It's just kind of like a habit now. Yeah, it's our self-protection. I love the idea that you're re you're, you're going to rekindle your love affair with lilies because um, I I do think there's a lot of bang for your buck with a, with a retail customer. They're willing to pay more for a stem that has six juicy buds on it, and also people aren't really growing it in their own gardens, so they're more fascinated by. Uh, the fact that it's available to them from a farm. Uh, are you growing in, in a high tunnel or, or in they are growing, Or if they are growing them in their own garden, they don't want to cut them. <laughs> yeah, they don't want <laughs> yeah, that's what we found when we did farmer's market. They don't want People the bare spot. Buy, well, they would even buy the plants from us and plant them in their garden. But when they wanted to cut one, they would come to us. Mm -hmm. So um, we have two, I think you were going to ask about where I'm growing. Yeah. Them. We, have two, um, we have two high tunnels, you know, like 20 by 100. Mm -hmm that I will probably put some in there just yeah. to stagger the, when, when we grew them for farmer's markets uh, for years, we grew thousands of them and we would plant them in the high tunnel the first year. And we would cut off of those for two years and then they would be moved out to the field. And we'd usually leave them in the field for a couple of years before they got, you know, started weeds creeping in and then we'd just plow them under um, hmm. But that way it would give hmm. us kind of a staggering by having some in the high tunnel, some newly planted and some from the year before, and it would just spread out that harvest time. That's a great tip. That's wonderful. Fun. Uh, how about you, Michelle? What, what, are, what do you see in your crystal ball and or how are you going to be changing your crop selection for the coming year? Or have you thought about that yet? I'm sure with grocery. Oh, I think about it every minute. <laughs> you dream about it. <laughs> well, I, I totally agree with Jamie that uh, there is no crystal ball. Yeah. Um, but I think that hindsight is our indicator. And 
it was okay mm-hmm. is what I just keep telling myself is we are okay. And it wasn't easy and it will not continue to be, it will continue to not be easy, but we will be okay. Mm-hmm. And so I just, you know, I think JD, Jamie's spot on that we're going to have to be very agile, uh, continue to be very agile. And, and when an opportunity presents itself, be ready to jump on it. But you know, planning for those things, I'm not sure is terribly worthwhile right now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't have a big solution. I do want to say the biggest shift that I have seen this year is people are so kind mm. and so accommodating. Our, uh, you know, our bulk buckets that we sell to brides. I mean, people are just so thankful to have flowers and they're, you know, if it's not the right shade of blush, they're over it. There is no concern this year. And I just think <laughs> no <that> drama. <laughs> we're we're resetting in this most beautiful way where we're just realizing what really matters. And um, you know, I can say that that's very much true of our farmers market customers. They're just so happy to have to have flowers and, you know, the, the, the super strong opinions or the pickiness just seems to be muted and just gratitude over what's available is extremely refreshing to me. And and I I think it gives growers a lot more freedom to grow what really grows well in their region and not just what is on Pinterest, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's super exciting for me. Mm -hmm. That's a really interesting um, way to kind of so in a way, it's a metaphor for this year. Like we, we all are in the same, you know, struggles with finances and with health and all kinds of, you know, pressures. And yet, if we can just, just accept it and work with, the, you know, make the best of it. And uh, I've heard that also from other, other growers uh, about, I, I forgot about this, that kind of phenomenon, like, you have flowers, I want them, <laughs> you know, like, I don't, I don't need to cherry pick the, you know, the, the, my specific color. And I love, I love that. Um, so we because- always say at Roots that if you give us the freedom to use what's freshest and most abundant, you're going to get the best arrangement, the best design, the best flowers. And I think that that's going to like, we're going to get back to that where people mm-hmm. are actually going to get better quality because they don't have their hearts set on this super specific whatever. And then we can really celebrate the moment of what is perfect yeah. that time in that moment. Yeah. And then nothing symbolizes that moment in time more than what, what you've just gone out to your field and, and harvested that looks exactly. the best. Um, I mean, that's go- whole, like local flowers is all about seasonality, yeah. right? We love that there's no tulips in July because it makes them even more special in April. And Absolutely. We need to celebrate that. Absolutely. Um, at the grocery level, it sounds like it'll you'll continue to, to crank out bouquets for your grocery customers. And in fact, the demand outs- outstrips your ability to fulfill it. So and at least <laughs> at least that channel you know you're going to be still like you said you work super hard for everything so maybe some of those on farm events will resume you know if the numbers go down and or if rapid testing happens or you know there's there's just so many variables uh it fills my mind with i want to be hopeful and i i think flowers are kind of the thing we all return to to just i don't know bring us back to nature and at least, you know, you guys are working in it all the time. I I'm have a I have a distance to it, but I know that when I leave the the computer and the telephone and the online meetings, and I can go just lose myself in my garden, it's like the best therapy I can have. 
it's probably different than working on a flower farm where you've got like you're racing the clock, but you still draw. Oh, no, I'd, I'd agree. And, okay. and, you know, my staff was like, super vocal about that this season, like just being so grateful to have work that feels restorative, even though it's draining and exhausting, you know, but, but we, we definitely don't ever take that for granted, mm -hmm. even though it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like as a nation, you know, when we were forced to slow down, like we were this spring that, um, I think most people went back to their base nature of enjoying nurturing something. Um, mm -hmm. it was played out in animal shelters, you know, that were emptied out of animals. And I think between pets and plants, it's something that everybody needs. Mm -hmm. Um, it's been, it's been shown, you know, endlessly mm -hmm. in, in therapy, you know, how valuable animals and plants can be. And I feel like maybe we've all just gotten a good therapy session <laughs> with, you know, I feel like that every year yeah. when I'm in my garden, Yeah, that, you know, I, I said, I don't need a therapist because I have it in my garden every day. Yeah. But I hear, you, you know, and I think that's been good for everybody. And I think, I, so too. I think even if people didn't realize it, that was something that they were needing. Yeah. That's wonderful. Well, I love that you're able to keep in touch with um, your, you know, the, the ASCFG members in your regions. Uh, well, uh, Jamie talked about sending emails out. Michelle, how are, ha how has it been for you? Are you able to uh, communicate, you know, frequently and hear from people or, because uh, I know obviously the big annual conference had to get canceled and um, was it going to be Orlando, wasn't it? Yes. I was all ready to go and that was a huge disappointment, but obviously none of us could, could commit to traveling this fall so far away. So you're doing things that are using new technology, like live streaming on Facebook and zoom meetings and all the other things that we're all doing to stay connected. Right. Yeah. I can say that the ASCFG as a whole has certainly, you know, worked really hard to provide video content and yeah. um, educational uh, sessions and a lot of value there, despite the lack of conferences. Um, I've as a that. regional director, I'm still 100% getting my sea legs. And so <laughs> I don't feel like I am in close enough communication with my region. We, I did communicate one time, but uh, here's a plug. If you have ideas, I want to hear them. That's from right. Atlantic. That's right. Um, but yeah, so we're working on it. We have some ideas in the work. I, everything goes on pause in my life until December and January. So soon, hopefully. Good You'll get through coming. it. Yeah. That's what yeah. first, that's what, that's what the, I guess, uh, January and February are for. And then you just go crank it back up into tulip season. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you need your own YouTube channel, Michelle, you know, like. Start oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, this has been so much fun. I adore just spending time with two smart women who are entrepreneurial and, hopeful and creative and you've both inspired me so much and I know our listeners will be inspired too if they're not in, if they're not in your region they can still take comfort in knowing what great leadership you represent uh, for the profession so I'm I'm delighted it's been my pleasure to have both of you thank you both so much for giving us an update I wish you both a wonderful uh, downtime if you get it this winter and then uh, flourishing 2021 thank you so much thanks ladies
Thank you so much for joining today's episode with Jamie Rada of Harvest Home and Michelle Elston of Roots Cut Flowers. The conversation filled me with gratitude for our beautiful and diverse Slow Flowers community of flower farmers and floral designers who come together to bring joy and inspiration to the marketplace of floral lovers. Thank you, Jamie and Michelle, for catching us up with two snapshots from ASCFG regions across the country. By the way, in today's show notes, you can also find links to my interviews from earlier this year that are part of this series. Val Shermer of Three Toads Farm, ASCFG's Southeast Regional Director based in Kentucky. Aaron McMullen of Raindrop Farm, ASCFG's North West and West Regional Director based in Oregon, and Janice Harris of Harris Flower Farm, ASCFG's Canadian Director based in St. Thomas, Ontario. We have to chase down a few more directors, and given the insanity of this COVID distraction year, you'll probably hear those interviews in early 2021. Our next sponsor thanks goes to Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 659,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. Our final sponsor thanks goes to Johnny's Selected Seeds, an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Find the full catalog of flower seeds and bulbs at johnnysseeds.com. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging on to iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers Podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com.